Thank you for listening to City Awakening Podcast. City Awakening is a gospel-centered church located in East Orlando that plants new churches, striving to be a multicultural, multi-generational church. For more information about City Awakening, follow us on social media or visit www.cityawakening.org. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Lewis. I'm lead pastor here at City Awakening. Uh, always great to gather with you here on site. And to those of you watching online, welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us online. Happy Easter uh, to all of you. Uh, this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children to Children's Church. Uh, we do like to have our children worship together with their families, and then we dismiss them to go ahead and have some age-specific content uh, with teachings that will relate and be uh, more relevant to their age. And so if you didn't get a chance to check your child in, please see our children's ministry leaders in the back, and they would be more than happy to assist you with that. Now, if you're a first-time guest with us today, welcome. We're glad you're here. We want you to know that we are actually in a series where we're going through the entire biblical narrative in a year. And so this is a great time for you to be a part of the church or even start coming back to church because you're going to get to learn more about the biblical narrative. So we're doing a series that we're calling The Story. And we're going through the biblical narrative from the very beginning in Genesis 1 to the last amen in Revelation 22. And today's text brings us to the story of the book of Ruth. Now, it's the book of Ruth, and the book of Ruth has a lot to do with Easter and the great hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, it's in the book of Ruth that the first place in the Bible where the word hope is used. So think about that. Everywhere else in the Bible, this is the first place where we see the word hope used. It's in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a message about hope. It's a message about hope, especially when we're facing bitter times in life. You ever experienced bitter times in life? You ever had bitter days? Days where life seems like it's just not going well for you. Days where it feels like life isn't going as planned. And life just feels bitter. Everybody goes through bitter days in life. Everybody, believers and skeptics. You know, one of the things that you'll hear us say often here at City Awakening is that we want to be a place where both skeptics and believers can seek truth and find joy in community. We believe those truths are found in the Bible. And we're okay with tough questions. We're okay with addressing issues. But this is one of those areas where both believers and skeptics can relate because both believers and skeptics go through bitter days in life. The book of Ruth is going to provide us with some hope for facing those bitter days. All right, so if you have your Bibles, this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about finding hope for the bitter days of life, right? And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them over to Ruth chapter 1. If you're new to your Bible, you'll find it in the first quarter part of your Bible. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. We'll we'll be in Ruth chapter 1 to 4 today. And the title of the message is Bittersweet, all right, Bittersweet. For those of you taking notes, the big idea of the message is that life is sometimes bitter, but the resurrection assures us it'll end sweet. All right, life is sometimes bitter, but the resurrection assures us that it will end sweet. Now, here's a little bit of context for you. All right, the book of Ruth was written in a time in history where it, it, Israel's history was very dark and it was very bitter. Well, why is that? Well, because they enter into the promised land. They're finally starting to settle there. And they are supposed to be a new nation that is going to be providing hope to restoring hope and restoring beauty to the land of Canaan. Well, they end up becoming disobedient to the Lord. They start worshiping other gods, worshiping other deities. They even start to become just as destructive as the very Canaanites that they drove out of the land. 
So the Lord basically says, okay, listen, I'm going to allow you to feel the weight of your sin, the weight of those consequences. I'm going to let you feel what it's like to have life without me. And so this becomes a very dark, bitter period for the people in Israel. Very dark period of their history. But the Lord doesn't leave them without hope. The Lord provides them with hope, and we're going to see that in the book of Ruth. All right, so let's check it out. Here we go. Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 states this. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malan and Kilion. So this shows you kind of the dark, bitter period of history that they're in right now. See, the promised land is now full of famine in the land. See, at one point in history, the promised land was considered to be a a prosperous land to the point to where the Israelites described it as a land that was flowing with milk and honey. But now it's become a land that is full of famine. So much destruction and famines happening in the land to the point to where the Israelites are leaving the promised land, including families like Elimelech. All right, things have become very dark and bitter for them in this point in history. Verse 3, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, not Oprah. All right, if I say Oprah, that's an accident because every time I see an Orpah, I'm thinking Oprah, all right? Not Oprah, Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. So what we see here is, is this is a, a, you know, a hard time for Naomi. She ends up losing her, her husband dies. But she still has her two sons, and her two sons end up marrying Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. So these are not Israelite women, these are Moabite women, and these are women who are actually worshiping other gods than the God of the Bible. We're going to see that as the text goes on. Verse 4 continues, after they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Naomi loses her husband, and she loses her two sons. That's enough hardship to crush anybody. I've had to do two funerals this past year, over the past few months of parents who had to bury their children. What she's going through right now is tremendous pain, tremendous hardship. Her days are full of bitterness right now. Now for Naomi, things are even about to get harder for her. As if this is hard enough, right? This is hard. This is extremely hard. But things are going to get even harder for her. Why? Because historically we know in ancient civilizations, not talking about today's age, we're talking ancient civilizations, widows were often mistreated and taken advantage of if they did not have a male relative or figure in their life to protect them and to provide for them. Well, Naomi has moved away from Israel right? Because of the famine. And so she doesn't have any male relatives who are nearby to help protect and provide for her. And so in verses 7 to 12, she goes up uh, to to Orpah and to Ruth and basically says, hey, listen, I got to go back to Israel because I got to go see if I have any of my family still left, any relatives that are still alive that can protect and provide for me. But the two of you go back to your Moabite families where you can be protected and provided for. Go start a new life 
without me. Her days have become very bitter, very quick. Listen to what she says in verse 13. My life is much too bitter for you to share. She says, my, my, some of you are there. Some of you feel that today. She says, my life is much too bitter for you to say. Her life has become very bitter very quickly. And here's what we're learning so far in the text. What we're learning is that our lives, they aren't as stable and as secure as we think they are. I mean, our lives can go from, from sweet days to being bitter days in a matter of minutes. Through a text, a phone call. For some of you with kids on the car ride here as your kids are fist fighting in the back. Right? Guys, we're trying to worship Jesus here, okay? Can you please stop? Can you guys please stop? Would you know we're going to worship? Guys, we're worshiping Jesus today, right? Why are you yelling? I don't. Matter of seconds, your joy can be robbed from you. That's what we're learning in the text before. Now, I told you the past several months, I, I have done several funerals, okay? Not, not just two, I've, I've actually done three. And each of them, this, this is one of the tough, the funerals are already tough as it is, right? But this is the tough, these were unexpected sudden deaths, every single one of them. See, sometimes our bodies can prep ourselves if we know, like when my mom died 10 years ago, you know, I, I, my body was already prepping, my mind was already prepping because it was weeks before she died. But unexpected sudden deaths, man, when it's like a shock, you know, things just hit us and, and, and it doesn't always feel real. And I can tell you, I knew each of these people personally. And I loved each of them. And I can tell you, each of those people, they expected to be able to live to see tomorrow. Their family and their friends expected that they were going to be able to live to see tomorrow. But the reality of life is this. This is the reality of the Bible. One of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible is not oblivious to the realities of life. No, it speaks into the realities of life. And the Bible is not hiding the fact that there is a reality to life being taught here. The realities of life is that we are not guaranteed to live tomorrow. The realities of life is that our lives are not as stable and as secure as we think. The reality of life is that our days can go from being very bitter days to from being sweet days to bitter days in a matter of minutes, like Naomi. Naomi's life is turning bitter very quickly. We're not guaranteed stability and security. She says, my life is too, too bitter for you to share. So she ends up saying, hey, listen, I'm going to go back to Israel. You two stay here with, the, with your Moabite families. And Orpah leaves, but Ruth stays with her. Listen to verse 16. Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And whatever, wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. That is a conversion moment for Ruth. That is a moment where Ruth is saying, I reject the Moabite gods. I am turning away from the Moabite gods, and I'm turning to worship your God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. This is a moment of conversion for Ruth. And then both Ruth and Naomi, they head back to Israel. And this is what happens when they head back. Verse 19, the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Madara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Naomi is feeling so much pain, so much bitterness, that she changes her name to Marta. See, in the original Hebrew that this text was written in, the name Naomi means pleasant and sweet, but the name Marta means bitter. She changes her name from pleasant and sweet to bitter. Her name Marta is an expression of the deep pain, the deep, deep grief that she is experiencing and feeling in life. And you know what she does? She's not rejecting the Lord in this moment that she is expressing this grief and this bitterness that she has. She's not rejecting the Lord, but she is neglecting to see the Lord's salvation and provision in this bitter situation. She's neglecting to see that the Lord has taken this bitter situation of life and turned it into salvation for Ruth and even provisional support for Naomi through Ruth. She is neglecting to see the Lord's salvation and provision in this bitter situation. See the awakening. What about you? What about you and the bitter situations that you're facing in life? Or just life in general? Are you viewing your life, looking at life as half empty or half full? Are you looking or overlooking the Lord's salvation and provisional moments that he is providing for you in life? Listen, it is okay for you to express your concerns. It's okay for you to express your struggles to the Lord and even your frustrations or your bitterness that you may be going through. The Lord wants your honest prayers. The Lord wants my honest prayers as well. I mean, he already knows my heart. He already knows what's going on. So why not express that and go to him in that? He wants, he wants our honest prayers. But let's be careful not to overlook the Lord's salvation and provision that he may be given us. See, Naomi is overlooking these moments that the Lord is providing her. She's overlooking the fact that the Lord has not abandoned her, even though it may feel like he has. You're going to see that the Lord is working in her life, even when she can't see it. He's going to provide her some salvation and provision, and it's coming up here in chapter 2. Listen to chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character for, for, from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Okay, this is a moment now, if we're going to get into the historical con, like, context of this in the original audience, like if you're here, man, like this, this is, we've, we've got, by the way, we have some people with the last name of Boaz in this church, so it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, all right? Maybe you're going to learn some things you didn't know about your family history here, all right? Might be good or bad. So there, you know, this is supposed to be as like if this was the Jewish audience, original Israelites, and they're reading this in this moment. This is supposed to be like a dramatic moment, which is why there's, there's that like just sent it right. His name was Boaz, right? It's supposed to be like a romantic. I'm not making this up. It's supposed to be like a romantic turn in the story of the book of Ruth, kind of like an episode of The Bachelor. You know, you ever look at The Bachelor, right? Look at what happens with The Bachelor. You know, what do they do? They always grab these guys, you know, who are like, you know, they're, they're confident, clean cut, you know, chiseled six-pack abs, walking around with some swag. That's what we're supposed to be picturing with Boaz. All right, Boaz, is, it says that he's a prominent man. He's a man of noble character. He's a man that, that is... Is full. He has a lot of wealth and a lot of good character and good qualities about him. He's a rich man. He is a charming man. 
He's a man who owns a lot of land and everybody loves him. Even his last name has significance. In Hebrew, it means Boaz, the last name Boaz means strength. You know what my Latino friends are quick to point out to me? The name, my last name, Tamburro, means dumb donkey. That's not a confidence booster, okay? So you know what I say to them? I say, hey, listen, well, thank God that I'm Italian because in Italian, tamburo means warrior drummer. I'll take that any day over dumb donkey. But even his last name, Bose's last, I mean, he's got, he's, he's all, he's everything put, he's, his last name means strength. And so as you're reading this text, the Israelites would be on the edge of their seat. They're saying, oh, this is like a hopeful, romantic moment for Naomi and for Ruth. Naomi is too old to marry him, but Ruth isn't. And so if Ruth and Boaz meet, and if they get married together, well, then Naomi is going to come into that picture as well, because he's going to now provide for both Naomi and Ruth. See, this is a moment of salvation and provision for them. So in verses 2 to 7, what ends up happening is this Boaz comes out, and he, and he sees in the field from a far off way, right? He sees in one of his fields, he sees Ruth. And so now the Israelites reading, they're on the edge of their seats, right? What's going to happen? Next? So he's there in one of his fields and he sees Ruth behind his harvesters picking up some of the grains that are on the ground that are falling, that they're dropping. And so Boaz hops on his horse and starts heading over there, you know, wind blowing, cape flapping in the wind, you know, hair flapping like this, you know, check it out. He's like, hey, he's like, hey, I noticed you noticing me at the harvest. How you doing? <laughs> and then he says this to her. Listen to this, verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one. That's his pickup line. But it works. Verse 10. She fell face down, bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and how you, you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you've done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under those wing, whose wings you have come for refuge. And you know what he does? He blesses her. He gives her a reward. He gives her a large amount of grain, which she takes back to Naomi. And Naomi's like, well, where'd all this come from? How'd you get all this grain? How'd you get all this food? Who's the man that noticed you? And Ruth says, his name was Boaz. Right? And Naomi says this, verse 20. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. The man, this man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. You know, one of the things that you'll see in the book of Ruth a couple of times if you read it, the whole thing through, is it says, just so happened to be in the land, just so happened to be a relative. It's pointing out the fact that none of this is just so, just so happened coincidence. It's showing us that the Lord is still working even in the abandonment that she is feeling in her life. See, what's happening now in the text is Naomi is finally seeing the Lord's hand at work. She is finally seeing the Lord's provision in her life. And it's starting to turn her bitter days into sweet days again. She is starting to see the Lord's provision 
through Boaz and even calls Boaz her family redeemer. Historically, what was a family redeemer? A family redeemer was a close relative who ends up coming in and ends up providing, saying, you know, I'm going to take responsibility for this extended relative, all their land, all their property, and and them and everybody in their household. Well, Boaz agrees to be the family redeemer, except here's the problem. There is somebody else who is an older relative than him. Okay, so he has to go to that guy because that guy gets the first choice. He gets to decide whether or not he wants to be the family redeemer or not. Again, back then, that was culturally what they did. So Boaz goes over to him and he's like, hey, listen, you know, here's the situation. Here's what's going on and stuff. Do you want to be the family redeemer? Guy's like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, I'll be the family redeemer. And so Boaz is like, oh, okay, all right. He's like, you can be the family redeemer if you want to, but, but here's the details. If you say yes to this, you're not just getting all the land and the property, You also have to take in a Moabite woman into your household and Naomi, who has changed her name to Bitter. She's bitter. (laughs) Now, thank you so much for doing this because, you know, I mean, if you want, man, I'm so, thank you, right? Well, so the guy backs out. He's like, no, no, I don't want that. And then he steps in and Boaz becomes the family redeemer. So he takes Naomi in, he takes Ruth in, and he actually ends up marrying Ruth. Chapter 4, verse 13. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became a mother to him. The neighbor woman said, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi places Obed Obed on her lap and becomes like a mother to him. And it is a, a sign that the Lord has taken her bitter days and has turned them sweet again. It's a sign of hope for the Israelites historically who are in a bitter period of history that the Lord is providing them with hope that he's going to turn their bitter days into sweet days again. And you know what? The story could have ended there. And it would have been good, right? It would have been fine because it it just shows the restoration of Naomi's life and it would have been fine. But it doesn't end there. Instead, the story ends with a genealogy. It ends with King David. Why is that significant? It's significant because historically we know over a thousand years later, an even greater king would come through that same exact family lineage and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the greater king that would come through the family lineage of Boaz and Ruth. Jesus is the greater family redeemer who would come to restore our broken lives, our sin-fallen lives and sin-fallen world. Jesus is the greater king and the greater family redeemer who would come to turn our bitter lives into sweetness again. See, the book of Ruth, it starts off with bitterness and death, but it ends with new life and a genealogy of new births. It ends with a historical compass that is pointing straight to Jesus Christ, turning the bitter sting even of death into a sweet eternal life through the power of his resurrection. City Awakening, this is what every single one of us here on site and to those of you watching online want for our lives. You know what I know is true about you and me? Whether you're a believer or a skeptic, I know this is true about me and you. It's that everybody wants the bitter days of life to end, but the sweet parts of life to continue and to last. 
Every one of us does. Nobody in this room says, man, I just hope my bitter days will last forever. No, every single one of us want our bitter days to end. And we want our sweet days, the sweet pleasures of life to continue. Nothing is more of a reality to that for our lives than when we're at a funeral at the death of somebody we love. I mean, at a funeral, you know, our, our souls are screaming, our hearts are screaming. They are longing to cling to the sweet pleasures of life with the person we love again. We have experienced the, the pain of the sting of death, the bitterness of the sting of death, and we long for the sweetness of, of life with them again to be able to enjoy the sweet pleasures of life with them again. We want to enjoy the sweet pleasures of being able to see, touch, you know, eat good, good food and good conversation with them, the human pleasures of, of life with the person we love again, never to be taken away by the sting of death again. Our hearts long for that at a funeral. The good news of Easter is that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have all those things. We have all those things. And I'm going to show it to you in Luke chapter 24. See, what happens in Luke chapter 24 is the disciples are, are wrecked. I mean, devastated, completely shattered, heartbroken over having to have seen the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. Like Naomi, they have felt the bitter sting of death. They've experienced the bitter sting of losing somebody that they love, Jesus. But Jesus is about to show them the sweet power of his resurrection over death. And so in Luke 24, what's happening is, is this is Jesus coming to talk to his disciples after he's already died, after he's already been buried, and after he has risen from the dead. This is Jesus in his resurrected body. And listen to the great hopes we have in Christ because of this. Luke 24 verse 36 says, Jesus stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took, and he ate. See, there's three things that I want you to notice that Jesus says in this text. Three hopeful things for our lives. The first thing, and remember, this is him in his resurrected state. Okay, the first thing that he says is, he says, see my hands and my feet. In other words, Jesus is able to be recognized after he's risen from the dead. The second thing he says is, he says, I have flesh and bones. Touch me and see. Meaning, Jesus is able to be physically touched after he's risen from the dead. He then goes on to say the third thing, he, he has flesh and bones, therefore he's able to eat. You know, give me a piece of broiled fish. And, and he took some and he ate it. And he's able to eat even after he's risen from the dead. So what is this telling us? What Jesus is showing us here in his resurrected state, he's showing us that after we die, we do not become translucent spirits, ghosts, or fertilizer to the natural world to complete the circle of life, Lion King. He's showing us that after we die, we will receive renewed, restored, resurrected bodies that will have flesh and bones which means we will be allowed to enjoy the sweet pleasures of seeing and recognizing those we love again. We will be able to physically touch 
those we love again, feeling the warm clasp of their hands, the warm clasp of their arms, the warm embrace of their hug again. It also means that we will even get to enjoy the pleasures of the human taste buds, enjoying food, getting to be able to eat good food and good conversation with the people we love again. City Awakening, for those of you who are food lovers, amen? Listen, T-bone steak, done. Brisket, done. Krispy Kreme hot and ready donuts, done. Tofu burgers, you're probably in hell. All right, listen, I eat tofu burgers too. I've had them before. I like them, okay? So don't, if, if you've got a problem, email me at Zach at cityawakening.org, okay? So Zach loves to get emails. <laughs> What's up, Zach? <laughs> Sorry. Listen, for, I don't mind tofu burgers, but this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is showing us that all the things that our hearts are longing for, my heart is longing for your heart, the thing we are clinging to hold on to. Being able to see, touch, enjoy good food, good conversation, the human pleasures of life with those we love again. He's showing us that all those things can be found in Christ. This is what our hearts are longing for when we're at a funeral. This is what our hearts are longing for now, that the bitter days of life would come to an end and the sweet days of life would continue on. But there's one more thing, one more pleasure I want to show you. There's way more than this. I mean, I've only got a little bit of time here. And we can go on. Because there's so much hope in Jesus Christ and in Christianity that's within these pages of Scripture. But I'm going to give you one more. One more pleasure. And it comes at the end of the book. It comes at the end of the Bible. When Jesus is expected to return again. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says this. Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain anymore. You can celebrate that. This is what the Bible says is going to happen in the end of history when Jesus returns. Like a parent bending down to wipe the tears from their child's eyes, Jesus is going to come down. He's going to wipe away every tear from your eye and my eye, never to return again. Depression, gone. Tears from depression, tears from broken relationships. Some of you are here today, you've experienced some, some broken relationships. Tears from that, gone. Tears from feeling like a failure, feeling inadequate in life, feeling like nobody cared, gone. Tears from mental illness, physical illness, cancer, gone. Tear from the bitter days of life, from the bitter sting of death at a funeral, gone. Never to return again. See, the Bible ends so much better than the way the book of Ruth ends. Because it ends putting a complete end to the bitterness of sin, sickness, sadness, and death forever. It ends allowing us to enjoy the sweet eternal pleasures of eternal life with Christ and all those who are willing to put their faith and trust in him and the power of his resurrection. 
This is what your heart is longing for. This is what my heart is longing for. We are longing for the bitter days, the bitter parts of life to come to an end and the sweet parts of life to continue. The solution to that will not be found in atheism. If you're an a- it will not be found in atheism. I know that because I was an atheist. It will not be. The solution is not an atheism which teaches that when you die, all the pleasures of life die with you. That's your hope with atheism. Why is that longing in your heart if that's the, that's the end? Just accept the end then. That everything that you're enjoying in life, all the play, it's going to die when you die. That's not a solution. The solution isn't found in Eastern spirituality, which teaches that you will just become a spiritual force when you die, denying you the physical pleasures of a physical bodily resurrection. You can't hug a translucent spirit. The answer doesn't come from drinking it up, smoking it up, you know, uh, self-medicating, which feels good in the moment. I know because I've done that. It feels good in the moment, but when the buzz wears off and the high comes down and the medication fades, the pains of life are going to resurface again. The solution to everything that your heart and my heart is longing for, for the bitter parts of life to come to an end, the sweet parts of human pleasures and human life to continue on beyond this life, all of those things are found in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is going to come again. And he is going to put an end to the bitter bitter days of your life and mine, never to return again. This is a promise that he gives every single person who puts their faith, their hope, and their trust in him. Listen, this is the big idea of the message. Okay, the big idea of the message is that life is sometimes bitter. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The Bible teaches that reality. But the resurrection assures us that it will end sweet. Just like the Lord gave hope to Naomi, the Lord wants to give hope to you today. See, the Lord has wooed you here. The Lord has brought you here today to provide you with hope. Like nobody dragged you here. Nobody nobody pulled you in here. We don't have bouncers at the door keeping you here. You came here today because the Lord has been working in your life, even when you may not have seen it, to bring you to this place right here, right now, to provide you with hope. Do you want hope for your bitter days, the bitter days of life? Do you want the hope that your bitter days one day will come to an end and and that they will be turned into a sweet eternal life and the sweet pleasures of life will continue? Then put your faith in Jesus. With Jesus, there will always be hope for your bitter days. There will always be hope that your bitter days will become better days with the power of his resurrection. If you are a skeptic, then repent of your sins. Believe Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins on the cross. And that hope will be yours. Everything that we've shared, that hope will be yours. Believe that he is God who loved you enough to come here, to put on human flesh, to live the perfect life that you have not lived, and then to die the death that you and I deserve to die because of our sin. And then he rose again to prove that it's all true, that prove that, yes, if you put your faith in him, he will forgive you of your sins. You will be reconciled with God forever, for all of eternity, never to be taken away again. And you will have an eternal hope in him that the sting of death can't even take away. You want hope? Put it in him. He drew you here today to say yes to that. You can do it in your seats right now. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. 
I believe, Jesus, you died for my sins. And I want to follow you today. If you do that, you have eternal hope in him that will never be taken away. For those of you who are believers, listen. Hey, let's not neglect. I've had to preach this to myself this week. Let's not neglect the protection, the provision, the great hope that he has given us in his resurrection. Let's remember that his resurrection assures us that not even the sting of death will be able to take away the sweet eternal life that he is providing for us. If he can do that with death, then what do you think he can do with your life? Let's not forget that. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you so much for your grace. Jesus, allow the skeptic in the room to have this day be the day where they say, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't walk this life without you. Let the skeptic watching online right now, let them come and turn to you. And God, let those who receive you today tell somebody who's a Christian so that they can celebrate that together. Let us know as a church and we'll celebrate that with you as a church. Jesus, let the believer in the room to remember that there's always a better day, a sweet day because of the great hope we have in you and the power of your resurrection. We love you, Jesus. We put our faith and trust in you and we give this final song to you. Amen. Let's stand and praise Jesus Christ, our King and Savior.